We've been in the series, The Good Life, and so we're in week four of a six-week series called The Good Life, and, and we've been looking at Philippians chapter three and chapter four, the last two books of the Bible, or the last two books of, of the book of Philippians, and we've been looking at this issue of the good life, about what is the good life, and, and Paul has a lot to say about that, and so tonight we're going to look at this issue, the title of the message is Joyful Living. In other, words, in other words, this issue is, is where do you place your joy? Where do you have confidence in the world that we live, in the confidence in the, in the situations and circumstances that we live in? Where do you place your joy? Because depending on where you place your joy will depend whether you have lasting joy or where you have joy that's like intermittent and it's dependent upon the circumstance, the situations, maybe some of the relationships around you. And so listen, we, we know this, right? We know this theologically. That, that all of us are, all of us are broken. We're broken individuals. We have issues that we deal with. We have struggles in our life that, that we go through. And so Paul begins talking about maybe some, some misconceptions about God, maybe some misconceptions about church. And he begins talking about this issue of, of where to place your joy. And so to, to help you understand that, I have a story from a, from a pastor friend, Chris Hodges, uh, Chris Hodges uh, pastors a church in, in the south. It's a very large church. Uh, he went down to New Orleans uh, to preach uh, over the weekend. And so on a Sunday night, he's flying out. And so he gets on the airplane, and he has a window seat. And so you know how it goes that, that the middle seat is vacant, and then there's someone on the aisle seat on his row. And so he's tired. He's exhausted. And so he's actually praying that, like, nobody would sit next to him. And so he, he thought he skated clean. And so just as the door is closing, all of a sudden comes this, this girl. I mean, she like burst on the scene, and she's like, "Woohoo! I made it. And so she's singing, and she's dancing all the way down the, hall, uh, down the aisle. She's twirling. And so he's like, please, Lord, do not let her sit next to me. I've been, I've been preaching all weekend. I'm exhausted, and I'm tired. Please, no. And so she's making her way down to the, the, the aisle, getting closer and closer. And sure enough, she's going to sit next to, to, to Pastor Chris. And so she, she makes her way in. She flops down in the middle seat. She throws her stuff on, on top of Chris and said, hold this while I get my seatbelt buckled. And she's still singing and she's still, you know, you know, Chris says, he says, you know, what? I think she brought most of Bourbon Street with her. And so, uh, so, uh, so they, they take off and uh, the drink cart comes by. And she wasn't, she wasn't ready for the party to end. So she ordered two mixed drinks. Uh, she got her mixed drinks, so she drank one. And then all of a sudden, she turns to Chris like this and like sloshes half of her drink on him. And she says, so what's your name? And she says, I'm, I, he said, I'm Chris. And she says, I'm Sally. And she, he says, well, nice to meet you, Sally. And so a little bit later, she turns again to him and says, what do you do for a living? And so when you're a pastor, you got two choices. You can lie or tell the truth. I mean, if, if you want the conversation to end, you just tell them you're a pastor and it's like done. And so <coughs> Chris was tired. Chris says, I'm telling her the truth. And so Chris looked at her and says, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And she's like, duh, like we're all passengers. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, no, not a passenger, a pastor, a pastor of a church. I'm a preacher. And she's like, and she looks at him, she says, I hate church. I hate God. And he goes, really? He says, I, I, hate to, I hate to hear that. And so she says, and then she turns to him and she points to her drink and she says, so what does your God say about this drink? 
I mean, it's perception of church, a perception of God, right? Chris looked at her, and he believes the Lord gave the words to him. Chris looked at her and says, you know what, Sally? I don't think God right now cares so much what's in your hand is what's in your heart. I think he first cares about you. I think he first cares about having a relationship with you. And then when you enter into that relationship, he can deal with whatever's in your hand. But first, first he wants to have a relationship with you. See, a lot of times that the people have this misconception about God. People have this misconception, and I mean really and truly that the joyful living, the good life, a lot of times what Paul says, it's your view of God. It's your view of life. I mean, do you, do you get to God by your accomplishments? Is it by acceptance or performance? See, that was Sally's problem. Sally thought it was like, you know what, i got to clean myself up. You know what, i, I got to act a certain way. i got to do a certain thing before God will even accept me. And so the question is, is what is your view of God? Because joyful living, listen, joyful living is when we see God correctly, when we understand, you know, it's the, it's the difference between acceptance and performance. In other words, acceptance is I'm going to accept him, accept what he's done for me on the cross, or is it performance that I've got to do a bunch of religious stuff, I've got to live a perfect enough life, I've got to live a good enough life, I've got to do more good stuff than bad stuff, we've heard it all different ways, so that he will accept me. See, this is what Paul's talking about tonight. He's talking about this issue, he's talking about, see, here, here was Paul, and just in case like you're new to church or maybe you're new to the Bible, Paul, for a long period of his life, it was on performance. It was on religion. And you know what? I don't know about you, but all religion will do is give you a bunch of guilt. It, religion will help you understand at how far you have to go. Because listen, none of us, if we're honest, none of us can live a perfect enough life. None of us can live a, 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 a life of perfection that deserves heaven. And so, so now I know this is a deep theological thought. Normally, I'll wait till about halfway through my message to give you the deep stuff, but you know what? You're the 630 crowd. You can handle it. And so uh, the, the way you respond to this will determine what I do tomorrow. How's that? And so I know this is deep, and I've been working on long. It's going to take a long time for it to sink in, but here it is. You ready? Okay. Belly buttons come with brokenness. I know that's deep. Only three people didn't have a belly button. Adam, Eve, Jesus, the new Adam. The rest of us, we're broken. Belly buttons come with brokenness. So guess what? We all have issues. Guess what? We're all broken. Guess what? We have to determine the good life. We have to determine with my brokenness, how am I going to handle my brokenness? This is with acceptance or performance that I'm going to try to do a bunch of religious stuff, hoping that it relieves me of my guilt, hoping that it relieves me of my past, or am I going to do what the Bible talks about, what Paul talks about, out of acceptance. So Paul was a performance guy at once, and you're going to, at one time you're going to hear this. So Philippians chapter 3, 11 verses, what we're going to look at tonight, and then just three quick principles. How's that? Verse 11, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, here's what the scripture says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, as it is safe for you. So Paul's about ready to give us some safeguards about this issue of joy, about this issue of joyful living. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So now he's going to, guess what? He's going to give us his religious accomplishments, his religious pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. It's like blameless. I did all the religious stuff, and guess what? Check, A, perfect. I'm like blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So this is when he flipped from performance to acceptance and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from religion, that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in, in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and, and share his sufferings, be like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the re resurrection from the dead. So Paul writes, and it's safe for you. And so you got to ask, well, what is he talking about? What is he talking about safe for you? He's talking about learning this fact of acceptance versus performance. That's why he said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness <coughs> from God that depends on faith. So tonight I want to give you just three safeguards to, to joyful living. Uh, two two are, are negative. The first two is like, don't do this. And the last one is something that we do. So he's talking about if you want to have joyful living, if you want to place your joy in the right place, not confidence in the flesh, so that you have joy through all circumstances, all situations, then don't do these things, the first two, and then do this. So the first one is this. Your joy is not placed in religious accomplishments. Your joy is not placed in religious accomplishments. Paul warned the danger of this thinking. That religion will help you feel better about yourself. That religion will help you with your guilt. That religion will help you with your past. That religion will help you with all the things that you've done wrong. That religion will help you with your brokenness. All of these religious accomplishments. You know what Paul would say? Paul would say instead of releasing guilt, it gives you more guilt. There's an interesting story about George Clooney. And, I, and I, it's really a fascinating series. But on Netflix, in case you're a Netflix person, uh, David Letterman is doing an interview series. It is kind of raw. It's different than, than, than what he did at The Tonight Show. Uh, David Letterman admit, admits that, you know what, he's coming towards the end of his life. He's made, a, uh, you know, he's made a lot of money, a lot of accomplishments, a lot of success, but he doesn't know the meaning of life. And he's worried that he's, he's wasted his life. And so he's doing this series, and this series is very, very in-depth, and it's very real emotionally. So he's talking to George Clooney, which you would think, George Clooney, he has the good life, right? I mean, he has the looks, uh, he has the talk, he has the accomplishments, he has the money, he has the marriage. I mean, I mean, if you look at George Clooney, you'd think, okay, good life person here. And so David Letterman was talking with him, and so David Letterman asked him a question. said, George, you and your wife, you guys do a lot of good things for people. I mean, Emil and you, you know, you're in Pakistan and you're, you're helping people. And so why is that? And George says, well, I, I've been doing that all my life. It was really, it wasn't just because of Emil. I mean, it was because of the, the family that I was raised in. So Letterman goes, okay, so I got to ask you because I'm trying to figure, the, I, I'm trying to figure this out and I'm trying to find, figure out the meaning of life. George, 
why do you think or why do you help people? And George says, oh, that's easy. The reason I help people, try to get rid of my guilt. He's like, really? He says, yeah, I think the only reason anybody ever helps anyone is try to get rid of the guilt. Try to make atones for the past. He said, you see, I was, this George talking, he said, see, I, I was raised in a, in a church, and, and we lived in a small town, and we had this priest, and he said, we were the type of the fam- uh, family that we were in church every weekend. I mean, it didn't matter if it's Christmas, it didn't matter if it's holiday, we're in church. Not only did we go to church, but every week we, as a family, we went down to the church, and individually we would go in and we'd confess our sins to the priest. And he said, I mean, we're a religious family. And so I got, I got to the fifth grade, and, you know, when you're a fifth grade boy, there's some things you don't want to tell the priest. And he said, so I had to figure something else out. So he said, so what I would do, I figured it out, and so what I would do is, is I would just tell the priest the things that I wanted the priest to know, and then I had to figure out what to do with the other. And so one weekend, I, I hear them talking about this saint, and this saint would take a pebble and put the pebble in their shoe, and she would walk with that pebble in her shoe, and she believed that was like penance. She believed that would, like, absolve her of her sin. And so you know what I did? I went home. Once a week, I would do this. I went home. I got my tennis shoes. I filled my tennis shoes up with gravel. I put my tennis shoes on. I climbed up to the top bunk of my bunk beds, and I jumped off. And David Letterman, he grimaced, and he says, Oh, George, you're breaking my heart. How long did you do that? He said, till about last week. So I've always dealt with guilt. I've always dealt with this issue. See, the, the good life is more than success and performance and fame and money and the perfect life. The good life is understanding acceptance or performance. Now, Paul, in the Scripture, would call this legalism. In other words, legalism, in case you don't know this, uh, legalism is a killjoy. I mean, legalism destroys, it destroys the joy in a Christian's life. And legalism is different than, than accountability and, and, and disciplines and, 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 and following Scripture. Legalism is this. Legalism is substituting rules and regulations for my relationship with Christ. In other words, there's people that will tell you that, that just a relationship with Christ is not enough. It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus a ritual. It's Jesus plus church attendance. It's Jesus plus all this other stuff. In other words, if, if, I, if I do certain activities and I avoid other activities, then, then God will, will think well of me. See, that was Sally's problem, right? The problem with that, that makes you, that makes you iffy. If I do this, God will accept me. If I do this, God's going to like love me more. But, but the truth is, when, when, when you're in Christ, as Paul would say, when you're found in him, can I just tell you this? God loves you the same on your best day as he does your worst day. His love for you is unchanging. His love for you is unconditional. And so if we're not careful, legalism can seep into our lives and, and it can be subtle in the life of the believer because here's what legalism does. Legalism gets the focus off what God has done for you and gets the focus on what you have done for God. And when that happens, when you, when you flip the switch, when you, when you flip the focus, I promise you you're going to lose your joy. I promise you're not going to have the good life. 
I mean, in Scripture, this is like a problem in Scripture. For like a thousand years in the New Testament, there were these, there were these legalistic people called Judaizers. And so the Judaizers would say, this is who Paul's fighting against. The Judaizers say, yeah, believe in Christ. That's a good thing. I mean, believe in Christ and trust in him with all your heart. But then there's some other things you've got to add. There's some other things that you've got to do. That's why verse, verse 2, Paul says, he, he uses his term, watch this, he says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in our performance, put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, a lot of times when we read that in our culture, we look at dog, we think of what? Warm, cuddly pets. I mean, we think of, we think of that dog we have, that, that we treat that dog like, like a family member. And I mean, it's just like one of the family, but that's not what dogs were like in their culture. Dogs in their culture were not cuddly pets. They were, they were, they were vicious animals, and they would attack humans. They would attack people. So in their culture, the worst the worst profanity, the worst word that you could call someone, you call them a dog. But that means they destroy people. That means they destroy lives. And so Paul is trying to help us understand that, that people that are legalistic will like suck the joy out of your life. They will like destroy you by trying, trying to hold you accountable for some rules and some regulations that Scripture never talks about. In other words, what Paul is saying, grace is a secret of joy. In other words, when we understand, listen, when we understand, I know it's kind of a stupid principle, but belly buttons come with brokenness. When we understand we are all broken, when we understand none of us have arrived, when we understand we all have hang-ups, and then we can learn to cut each other some slack, and grace is a secret of joy. And so Paul is saying, if you're trying to live up to these rules and regulations, and the motivation is out of that, trying to get God to love you, rather than a motivation of, I'm doing this because I love him, that, it, that you're not going to live this life that Scripture's talked about. Verse 4, he goes on, and, and Paul says, you know what? You want to put your religious pedigree up against mine? Guess what? I got you beat every time. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of, of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But here's the interesting thing. When you go through his religious pedigree, I don't know if you notice this, I notice this, never mentions God. God's not even mentioned once. His relationship with God's never, you know what's, you know what's men mentioned? Everything Paul did. The focus is on Paul. The focus is on Paul's performance. See, the, see, here's the crazy thing about religion. Here's the crazy thing about legalism. Legalism forgets God. Legalism has nothing to do with God. It has to do with the individual. That's why for us it's so defeating. So here, here's five examples in the, in the Scripture of legalism that Paul gave. I, mean, I, I think they're interesting. The first one is this, is trusting in rituals. Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, and, and just real quick in Judaism, I mean, the perfect day, the, the most legalistic person would make sure it's the eighth day they did that. In other words, this would be the person that says, you know what, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. I was always a Christian. I, I was, I, you know what, uh, it was because of some ri religious ritual that happened to me. 
It was because of a baptism. It was because of church membership. It was, it was because of the church that I went to. And listen, if, if you fall into this trap, you're like in trouble. I mean, a lot of times in the community, I'll talk to someone and they'll find out I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden they'll say, well, you know what? I, I was baptized. Well, I didn't ask you if you're baptized. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with God? See, there's a difference, right? There's a, there's a difference. That's where. I, here's another one. Trusting in race. He said, he said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, the, the tribe of Benjamin was, was like the purest tribe. Not only being baptized on the eighth day, but the tribe of Benjamin is like, like, the, like the purest tribe. In other words, that, that man, I'm trusting in my family heritage. I'm trusting in, in the family. I mean, I, here a while back, I was invited to go do an invocation. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so my wife, Karen, went with me. And so we're, we're, we, they seated us at a table, or we just grabbed a table. We re- realized <coughs> that we'd made our way over to, like, the party table. I mean, as soon as the cash bar opened, those folks were there, and I mean, they're coming back with two drinks, and you know, they're telling stories and everything, and so all of a sudden, they get around to, hey, what are you doing? And so again, you, as a pastor, you have a choice. You can either lie or you can tell the truth, and so, so I told them I was a pastor, and so it gets real quiet, and so then all of a sudden, that this, this stuff comes out, like, like you can just hear it, how they're trusting in race, and uh, in, in their race, or their family, or their heritage, and all of a sudden, this lady says, well, my mom's a Christian. Like, well, that's awkward. I, okay. Yeah, and you know what? I, I know a pastor. And so they're trying, they're trying to grab any touch they can with church. Listen, you can get religion by osmosis, but you cannot get Christ by osmosis. See, there's a difference. Just because you're born in a garage does not make you a car. <laughs> Just because you're born in McDonald's does not make you a hamburger, right? You, listen, you can get religion by osmosis. You cannot get Christ by osmosis. Here's, a, here, here's another one, trusting in religion. Paul goes on and says, hey, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Paul says, back in my performance day, I, I was a religious person. There weren't, there weren't many Jews in their time that were, were Hebrews. I mean, some were Hebrews on the surface, but underneath they were really Greek. And so Paul was saying, you know what, culturally, I'm not just a Hebrew on the surface. You know what, I, I've always been a Hebrew. Here's another one, trusting in rules as to the law of Pharisee. Now listen, Paul kept rules, Pharisees keep rules. We think, a lot of times with Pharisees, we think, you know what, we think there were really some bad people and, and we, we, we think that they were hypocrites, but really and truly they were genuine, really and truly they, they examined the scriptures and they just wanted to follow the scriptures. In some ways they were, they were spiritually elite of their, of their age, but, but here's the problem. They trusted in rules. They took, in case you don't know this, they took the Ten Commandments, and they took the Ten Commandments, and they expanded it to 619 other commandments. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to make sure. I mean, they were wound tight. They wanted to make sure they didn't miss anything. You realize a Pharisee would not even eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath because they were afraid that it would be considered work? That cracks me up. That is, that is no yoke. There we go. We got, the, I know, we got the crummy jokes out of the way. You realize that a Pharisee, I mean, they like had no joy. If a mosquito would to bite them on the Sabbath, they wouldn't scratch it because they were worried it would be considered work. You know anybody like that? They're religious and they're just wound tight. And it's like they have no joy. Paul says, that was me. 
He says, that was me. Here's another one, trusting in reputation. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to, to the righteous under law, blameless. And so many times you'll, you'll hear people talk about, about their, their religious reputation and, um, and their accomplishments. It's not sometimes that any of those things are wrong as much as our motivation to read the Bible and church attendance and to witness is, is not to go to heaven and not to try to get God to love us more because God loves me and God loves you on your worst day as much as he does, does your best day. It's because of love relationship. See, the motivation changes. If you're made to love someone in an earthly relationship, there's not much joy there, right? If you're stuck in a relationship, if, if, if you have that, it's just not much joy. But when there's a genuine love for that person, and that love comes out naturally, then there's joy in the relationship. The same, same as the way with Christ. And so Paul is saying, Paul is saying, you know what? I've been down this road of performance. I was like perfect. But he says, I'm a lot like George Clooney. I still have guilt. I still have issues. Doesn't matter how much George and his wife give to, to the people in Pakistan and give to, to all these different causes. You know what George says? George told David Letterman, I still deal with guilt. I still deal with this. So your joy cannot be placed in religious accomplishments. The second thing, or the second thing is this, yeah. Your joy is not placed in your accomplishments. So it's not placed in religious accomplishments. And guess what? It's not placed in your accomplishments. Paul tells us, you know what? Don't put confidence in the flesh. Don't put your confidence in your credentials. Don't put your confidence in your accomplishments because, listen, let me tell you something. If your righteousness, if your right standing with God is, is that you boast in, in your accomplishments, you boast in that you do everything right, that you boast in you know, like you're blameless, then what happens when you blow it? We're all broken. If we're honest, what ha if your confidence is in your flesh, if your confidence is in you, what happens when someone criticizes you? What happens when someone's trashing you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text? What happens when they're talking about you behind your back? I'm telling you, if your confidence is placed in your performance and your accomplishments, then it is going to suck the joy out of you when someone disagrees with you, when someone criticizes you, or when someone thinks you're less than perfect. In other words, what Paul is saying is you and I got to make sure that, that our, our joy is not misplaced. Our joy is not in religious accomplishments. Our joy is not in our accomplishments. Our, our joy is in something else because Paul's like, I was a very religious person, but I was lost. I didn't know Christ. I did a bunch of religious stuff, but you know what? I didn't have a personal relationship with him. And so Paul says that, that we have to change our perspective. Verse 7, here's, here's what Paul says about looking back on that period of his life. But whatever gain I had, <coughs> I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may know Christ. In other words, this, I'm giving up all that religious stuff for my relationship with Christ. In other words, this, Paul's saying, you and I, if we're going to have joy, have to keep our priorities in place. We have to keep our perspective in place. In other words, don't lose your joy over things that really don't count. 
In other words, from what I see, there's a lot of times the reason when I lose joy, and you know we all lose joy from time to time. Um, when I lose joy, maybe when you lose joy, you know what, for me, it's misplaced priorities. It's putting confidence in the flesh rather than confidence in the spirit. Confidence in what I can do versus confidence in what God can do. That's why when you look at Paul's joy, look at these verses where he places his joy, Philippians 3.1. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So he's saying, you know what, my joy is in the Lord. Verse four, uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So he says, my confidence is in, 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 in the Lord. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. In other words, you know what Paul's saying? Man, I don't place my joy. And listen, I'm telling you, it's so important. I don't place my joy in situations, in circumstances, or people. People can change quicker than circumstances. I don't know if you learned this or not, but... People can love you one day and hate you the next. And sometimes haters are just going to hate. And no matter what you do, how much of our life sometimes is trying to get a hater to love us that's never going to love us? We're going to wear ourselves out. And you're going to wear yourself out if you believe it's up to you because see, here's what's happened. When, when your joy is placed in the flesh and someone hates you, someone criticizes you, then you know what? It's up to me to get them to like me. Instead, I understand, you know what? My joy is placed in, in Christ regardless of what you think about me, regardless of my circumstances or my situation. In other words, Paul says, I, I gave up religion in, in, in order to have a relationship with him. Because I'm telling you, a lot of times the reason, the reason we... The reason it's hard for us to move our joy from flesh to spirit is because, see, over here in the flesh, we feel like we can control things. That, that's why legalism lasts. That's why religion, because we, we can control some things. And so to move over here to the spirit, you've you, you got to give up some control. I mean, if, if, I mean, if you came to this place and you moved over to here, and let me just ask you, because you're going to give up control, what is, what is the thing that you're afraid of the most about losing? What is the thing that you, what is this thing that you, you know, if I move from flesh to spirit, I'm going to have to give this up. Can I just tell you this? Whatever you're scared of giving up in the flesh, that's what's robbing your joy. That's what's taking your joy. So here's the last one, the positive one. Your joy is placed in his righteousness. Your joy is not placed in religious accomplishments. It's not placed in your accomplishments. It's placed in his righteousness. This is what it means to this. This is what it means. What Paul says to be found in him. I just want to be found in him. I want. I just want to be in Christ. In other words, that you and I cannot live the good life without understanding a relationship with Christ. That's why he says, verse nine. He says, and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul doesn't say, I just want, it's so fascinating, Paul doesn't say, I just want God's righteousness. Paul says, I just want to be found in him. I mean, I mean we know this, right? We, lived in, we live in uncertain times. We live in crazy times. And so the question is, in the times that we live in, where do you get your stability? The times that we live in, where do you get your confidence? Where do you get your joy? Where do you get your peace? Is it in your circumstances? 
Is it in your life uh, that, that is distracted by conditions and, and circumstances? Or can we, is it possible to live the supernatural life? Can, is, is it possible, and I think it is, is it possible to have righteousness, peace, joy, confidence beyond a, a paycheck, beyond the economy, beyond our circumstances, beyond how we feel, beyond how the kids are doing, beyond how our relationships are doing, beyond how, how our, 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 our job is doing? Can we find joyful living the good life in difficult seasons of life? Because I don't know if you're like me, but there's two types of seasons in life. There's that season of life that you go to church and you're like, man, I, I hope the message is good. I hope he tells a few jokes. I hope they sing some songs that I like. And then there's those other times that you go to church in a different season and you say, God, I just need a word. I just need hope. I, I, just, need, I just need to hear something from you. And I, I, don't need to bra- I don't mean to brag, but when conditions are perfect in my life, I'm a happy person. When everything's going well in my life and everything's perfect and all the six situations are going good, then I'm positive, I'm happy, but it's shocking how one little change can happen in my life, one little change in my conditions and our circumstances, and all of a sudden, everything can change for me. So how do you remain confident in uncertain times? I think the secret is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So real quickly, he, Jesus, became sin so that we could become right with God. He took our place. He did what we could not do for ourselves. He paid for our sins in full. And now we have a chance of having a right relationship with God, not based upon our accomplishments, not based upon our performances. Jesus took our place. He did for us what we could not do. And I know it sounds simple, but I choose to let Jesus pay for my sins. I choose. It's not about me doing more good stuff than bad stuff. It's none of that. Jesus, who knew no sin, even though he was tempted in every way, what the scripture says, did not sin. Because he did not sin, he could pay for our sins, and he could pay for your sins, and he could pay for my sins. And so the Bible says that he became so that we could become. He became sin so that we could become and have the righteousness of God. Listen, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what your circumstances or situation are like, but no matter how difficult and challenging it is, we can find supernatural joy because of what he's done for us. Yeah. Many years ago, Steve Allen was a pastor here. He had a long childhood friend um, that, was, that worked his way up and became the mascot for the Colorado Rockies, Dinger. And so uh, <coughs> Steve tells us that Dinger got a lot of tickets. And so several pastors from our church went, and we joined some other pastors in, in, in Denver uh, from another church. And so we all, went to, we all went to the Colorado Rockies game, and we got these free tickets that were like, they weren't really good, but you know what, they were free. And so we're all, we're all together. And so before long, here comes Dinger. And so Dinger came up and gave us some T-shirts and says, hey, he says, why don't you guys come with me, and I'm going to get you guys. There's a tradition here at, at, at Coorsfield. And he says, I'm going to get you guys to dance on the, the dugout uh, on the visiting team. And I'm like, you know what? 
my wife told me I should never dance in public, and so, uh, so I, I, I'm not doing that. And, and so they tried, but I wouldn't give in to peer pressure, so off these pastors went, and so they went with Dinger. And so they get up on the dugout, and they start dancing, and I'm telling you, it was ugly. It was, it, was, it was embarrassing, and they got the camera, and they got them on Jumbotron, and I'm like, this is embarrassing. And about that time, I get a text and pull out my phone, and it's another pastor, Pueblo Christian Center pastor. And so he texted me. He said, hey, Pastor Charlie, he said, I don't know if you're aware of this. Some of your pastors at Coorsfield, I think they're drunk. <laughs> I go, no, I'm with them. They're actually sober. Uh, and so he goes, he goes, really? And I go, yeah. And so they, they finished dancing, and then Dinger sat them down behind the third baseline, the, the, the visiting team, the Giants dugout, and they got like front row seats. And now those guys are texting me, trashing me, letting me know that if I had a, if I had a, if I had a worked for my ticket, if I had a gone with Dinger and danced on the dugout, that I too could have had front row seats. And so we're going back and forth, and whatever, it's still not worth it. And then all of a sudden Dinger comes up and says, come on. And so I didn't have to do any, anything that they did, and Dinger ushered me down to the front row, and I got to sit with them. You know how I got into that section? Because there's a VIP section. I got in that section on the credentials of Dinger. Nothing that I'd done. And the same is true of heaven. He became so we could become. All I had to do with Dinger is say, I'll walk with you. All we have to do with Jesus Christ is I receive you. I accept you. I just accept you. Because you became so I could become the righteousness of God. And then we don't live a legalistic life. We live a life life out of a love relationship for him that overflows in our life. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?